Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Around the 5th century BCE in China is the legend of Mulan. Yes, it's true. There's a a Disney movie, of course, based on uh, this probably true story of a young Chinese woman who disguises herself as a man in order to fight for freedom from the Huns. The legend says that in order to protect her father, who was old and sickly, she took his place in the war. That's how she got into that. And, uh, of course, in the movie, they don't know she's a woman, and they all sing one of my favorite Disney songs, I'll Make a Man Out of You. Are you familiar with this? You know this? All right. Very good. So feel free to sing along. I think we have the lyrics up here. And there's one one section that I really need your help with because it kind of happens simultaneously. So I want you to practice this. When I, when I point to you, I want all the men to say, be a man. All right, can we try that? Ready? One, two, three. Wow. All right. Okay, so that's going to come up in the chorus. <clears throat> all right, here we go. Five, six, seven, eight. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Did they send me daughters when I asked for sons? You're the saddest bunch I ever met, but you can bet before we're through. Mr. I'll make a man out of you. Here's your part, ready? We must be swift as a coursing river. With all the force of a great typhoon, with all the strength of a raging fire, mysterious as the dark side of the moon. All right, give yourselves a hand. Yeah. So this this kind of all, all got me thinking, what does it mean to be a man, right? What is manliness? Is it Knowing about sports, perhaps? Is it being rough and tough? Is it having the force of a great typhoon? Being mysterious as the dark side of the moon, as the song says? I think most of us associate being a man with strength, right? Being physically strong, emotionally strong, spiritually strong. But is that really true? And if so, how is it true? This brings us to our Haftarah portion this week. Allow me to set the scene. King David is about to die, and he's giving his final counsel to his son Shlomo, also known as Solomon. His speech has two sections. The first one, to me, makes a lot of sense, and we heard uh, our brother John Serber read from this earlier, and this is what he says. I, I am going the way of all the earth. So be strong and, yeah, see, I, you knew it was coming back, right? Be strong and be a man. Be a man. 
Keep the charge of Adonai your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his decrees according to what is written in the Torah of Moses, so that you may succeed in all you do and wherever you turn, so that Adonai may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your children watch their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." The rabbis saw in this passage the promise of the one to come, the Messiah, who would sit on the throne of David, who would be descended from David, who would follow the Torah, the ultimate idea of what it means to be a man is what we think of when we think of the Messiah. And Solomon was a small representation of that. Compared to ancient Near East kings, this advice that David gave would have been a little strange, right? What, think about ancient kings of the, you know, of, of that era. What were they? They were empire builders, right? Consolidating power, taking over places. The king is supposed to be the boss, right? The grand poobah. Yeah, it's good to be the king, right? Okay, but David is teaching his son something else. He's saying that even the king is subject to what? The Torah, the Torah of Moses the Torah of justice, the Torah of love, the Torah of worshiping God alone. This solidifies the Davidic kingdom for all time. It's rooted in Torah. This part makes sense to us, right? God's ways are the best ways, and that's what it means to be a man, a man after God's own heart. What will establish Solomon's throne is not military might, but following the laws of God. He's to be strong in the Torah right? At least that's what David says first. But then David adds some things to his advice to this almost king, and this is where I thought it was a little strange. Yeah, a little iffy. Yeah, okay, so let's take a look. Moreover, this is David still talking. You also know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether, whom he killed, shedding the blood of war in peacetime, putting the blood of war on his waistband and on his sandals on his feet. So act according to your wisdom and let his gray hair not go down to Sheol in Shalom. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for they befriended me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Also, behold... You have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Baharim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by Adonai, saying, I will not put you to death by the sword. Now, don't let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man, and you will know how to deal with him and bring his gray hair down to Sheol with blood." The settling of old scores. Joab, the first one he mentions, was one of the king's advisors, but he was a kind of a wild card. He helped out Adonijah, who one chapter earlier exalted himself and proclaimed he was going to be king. So this was kind of a political move of David. And then the third guy, Shimei, insulted David when he went when he fled Jerusalem, and then he actually apologized for it. And David told Shimei, Shimei to his face. He would not die for his misstep, 
But now that David is leaving the throne, perhaps his son Solomon can do something about it. You know, it's very suspect if you ask me. It's like we've entered the world of, the, of Scorsese's The Godfather, right? Solomon, remember that bum who cursed me and I said I'd never lay a finger on him? Well, son, you got ten good fingers that don't belong to me. Make sure you put them to use if you catch my drift, huh? Yeah, sure, give him the what for. I don't know what impression I'm doing. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) So what do we make of this? One commentator I read felt that Solomon was establishing justice by settling these old scores. Indeed, the Haftar portion ends in verse 12 by saying that Solomon's throne was firmly established. And then, when Solomon acts out these instructions of his father's, he conveniently leaves out the nice one, number two. He just does the revenge stuff, uh, numbers one and three. Um, he has Joab killed. Um, this is, uh, we get this from verse 33. This is when Solomon acts it out. May the guilt of their blood return on the head of Joab and upon the head of his offspring forever. But to David and his seed and his house and his throne, may there be shalom forever from Adonai. Shalom. There's supposed to be a lot of shalom here. At least that's what the text says. First we have Solomon. His Hebrew name, as I said, is what? Shlomo. Referring to what? He's the king of shalom. He's the king of peace. Then we note that we're in the city of Jerusalem, or Yerushalayim, which is also the city of peace, right? It's related to that shalom. And then finally, we have this quote-unquote peace established by Shlomo, but how does he establish it? Through violence. I'm sensing an irony here in the text. All of this takes place before the famous episode in which God asks Solomon what he wants, and he says, I would like wisdom, discernment, instead of riches or revenge on his enemies. So perhaps we can give Solomon a pass. Maybe this is before he really gets to know what wisdom is. I don't know. The key, I think, is to look back at the life of David, his father. Generally, a good guy. But he did make make one very big mistake, which apparently he passed on to Solomon in a variety of ways. Nathan confronts David, this is David's friend, for having Bathsheba's husband killed and then taking her as his wife, who, by the way, is the mother of Solomon. And this is that story. So we're going to look at this episode in the life of David. So Nathan confronts David and tells him, what else? A story. There were two men in the same city. One was rich and the other poor. The rich man had an exceedingly huge flock and herd, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate from his own morsel and drank from his own cup and nestled in his bosom, and it was to him like a daughter. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but he was unwilling to take one from his own flock or herd or prepare a meal for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man that had come to him. Then David's anger blazed hot against the man and said to Nathan, Ah! As Adonai lives, the man that did this deserves to die. 
So he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did such a thing and showed no pity. Then Nathan said to David, that's right, you are the man. You're the man, but not, <laughs> not as good, right? Okay. Thus says Adonai, God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. Now, if that were too little, then I would have added to you so much more. Why then have you despised the word of Adonai by doing such evil in my eyes? Uriah the Hittite, that was Bathsheba's husband, you have struck down with the sword, and his wife you have taken to be your wife, and him you have slain with the sword of the children of Ammon. This is the key part. Now the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So this is the real problem. Because of David's actions, he will be defined by what? By the sword. Violence will follow him all the days of his life. As Yeshua says in the gospel, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He passes this problem on to Solomon as well as the problem of lust for women and lust for power, you notice that, that he doesn't teach Solomon to avoid these missteps that he made. And so he's also passing on this sword to Solomon. So the question is, what values are we passing on to the next generation? Are we mixing in our personal vendettas? And how, how are we defining what it means to be a man, what it means to be human? Is it about keeping Torah, or is it about remembering those who have wronged us? There's another story with a sword after this. After Solomon fulfills the requests of David, he asks God for wisdom. And after he asks God for wisdom, he gets to use it right away. This is what happens. Later, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, my Lord, please, this woman and I live in the same house, and I delivered a child while she was in the house. On the third day, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth to a child. While we were together with no one else with us in the house, just the two of us in the house, this woman's child died during the night because she lay on top of him. Then she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your handmaid was asleep. She laid him at her breast and laid her dead child at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, he had just died. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, I realized he was not the son that I had born. But the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, the dead one is your son, the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is dead. The other says, no, but yours is dead and mine is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. There's the sword again, right? So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was the living one spoke up to the king, for her heart grew tender for her son. She said, my lord, please give her the living child. Only don't kill him. But the other said, it will be neither mine nor yours. Cut, cut it in two. Then the king responded by saying, give her the living child and certainly don't kill him. She 
is the mother. When all Israel heard of the verdict that the king had given, they were in awe of the king, for they saw that wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The woman who is the true mother chooses to give her child away rather than for harm to come to him. In this, we see the king's justice, but we we also see what the love of a mother looks like in response to the sword. She subverts the violence of the sword by her love for her son. And so, of course, can we. So what does it mean to be a man? I think it means to do Torah, to do justice, to choose love, but also to learn, to learn from the stories of Scripture and from the earlier generations. Solomon showed himself a man by leaning on God's wisdom to withhold the sword and to create peace. Our example of what it means to be a man, what it means to be human, comes, of course, from Yeshua, the Messiah, the descendant of King David on the throne forever. King David's advice to Solomon was this. What did he say? So be strong and what? Be a man. So let's follow his counsel, but in the light of Messiah. A real man, a real human, forgives and shows kindness. Yeshua showed strength in his ability to love without condition, in his love such that he even died on the tree for our sins. This is the heart of the gospel. Let's pray.